And now the final painting. The last of our exhibit has to do with one Josef Strobel, a Nazi war criminal hiding in South America, a monster who wanted to be a fisherman. This is his story. So begins the third and final story from the 1969 pilot of the TV show Night Gallery entitled The Escape Route. And the episode centers around an escaped Nazi war criminal living in South America, hiding out in South America, who is haunted by his past. The man, Josef Stroba, begins to visit an art museum where he is drawn to this painting of a fisherman on a lake. And the painting depicts a quiet space, one of solitude that promises tranquility and an, and an escape from a painful, albeit self-inflicted, past. Yosef is so enthralled with the painting that he begins to see himself in it. He sees himself as the fisherman, and he witnesses the painting moving, and he hears music. So Yosef begins to visit the painting daily because it brings him the peace that he has been longing for. And with every visit, he begins seeing more and more of himself in the painting as the fisherman. Yosef has been haunted by his past as a Nazi war criminal for so long that he just wants some peace. He has been on the run from the authorities for so long that he begins to see himself as the fisherman in the painting and it brings him the peace that he desperately desires so he returns to the painting time and time again. And while at the museum one day, Yosef is recognized by a survivor of one of the Nazi concentration camps where Yosef worked. And Yosef denies that he worked for the Nazis, but he keeps running into the man, and the man keeps reminding Yosef, I know your true identity. And Yosef remembers the man, but he keeps denying his true identity. And in time, the Israeli agents have Yosef on the run, and as they are about to catch up with him, he flees into the museum at night. And in the darkness of the museum, Yosef goes up to his favorite peaceful painting, and there he begs God to take him inside the painting. He wants to escape into the painting that he loves so much so that he can get away from his past. But what Yosef doesn't realize is, because it's pitch black in the museum, his favorite painting of the fisherman had been moved earlier in the day. And now, in its place, is a painting portraying the brutality of the Holocaust. So standing there in the dark, Yosef begs God to send him into the painting, not knowing that the fisherman painting had been moved. And God answers Yosef's prayers because in the end, he is transferred into the painting. Not into the fisherman painting, but into the painting depicting the Holocaust where he would be tortured forever in the same way that he tortured others. Justice had been served to Josef Strobo, a man running from his past, a man trying to escape his past. Well, the reality, Grace, is that we're all like Josef Strobel. We all spend our time and our energies running from our past, running from things that we have said 
running from things that we have done, running from things that we are ashamed of, running from things that we're embarrassed about, running from the sins of our past that haunt us in the present. We're all like Yosef Strobel in that we desperately want peace and tranquility, but our memories keep resurrecting old sins. Our memories haunt us. Our memories of past sins haunt us. And on top of that, as if that weren't enough, the devil returns continually to remind us of our sins. And the devil has such a detailed list of our sins, doesn't he? Oh, how well he knows our past. And so it seems hopeless at times. Because the shame and the guilt of our past are so persistent. But it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless because of the gospel. It's not hopeless because Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came down from heaven, from the infinitely glorious, white-hot presence of God Almighty to save guilty sinners like us who have broken God's law. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we all deserve. He came back from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God Almighty until he returns to make all things new. Jesus finished his work, the work that God the Father gave him to do, as he says in John 5 and John chapter 8. And then Jesus sat down. After he finished the work that God the Father sent him to do, he sat down, something no Old Testament priest was allowed to do. So Jesus rested from his work, knowing that his work was finished. And that's what we'll see in our passage today. We'll see that Jesus finished his work so that we would never finish saying, it is finished. Jesus finished the work of redemption that he came to do. He finished the work that God the Father sent him to do, and then he rested. He, he sat down. He sat down and rested so that we might rest from all of our working and striving to gain God's favor. He rested, he, he stopped that work of redemption in that what he performed through his life, death, and resurrection. He, he stopped, rested, having accomplished all that his father gave him to do so that we wouldn't wear ourselves out trying to do more and try harder. And that is exactly what the Hebrews were struggling with. They were being tempted to go back under the law, back under the old covenant in order to gain God's favor. As you've heard me say repeatedly over the last few weeks, they wanted more law and less grace. They wanted to do more and and to try harder to gain God's love, to earn his favor, to earn his acceptance. And so the writer of Hebrews from the get-go is reminding his audience that Jesus is better than the old covenant. He's letting them know that Jesus sat down after making propitiation for sin, something no old covenant priest could ever do. And the preacher of Hebrews is reminding them that the story of redemption in Scripture has reached its culmination in Jesus Christ. In fact, even the way he structures the opening of his letter points to the centrality of who Jesus is and what he has done for sinners like us. 
He is reminding us that Jesus has fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king. So look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Yes, we are still in verse three. I realize this is sermon number six on Hebrews chapter one, verse three. We're hopefully going to leave it in a few weeks, but we're gonna at least get to the very end of verse three, and then next week, Greg is going to be preaching, and then when we come back on December 6th, we'll actually start a little mini Advent uh, Christmas series that I've entitled Ugly Christmas Sweater Party, and you're all invited to that. So after Christmas, we'll eventually get to Hebrews chapter one, verse four. So look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three again. Hear the word of Jesus He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now the Greek language is structured in a very unique unique way here. There's one clause with a main subject and one main verb. And everything else around it relates to it. So the subject is he... And the main verb is set down. He set down. So everything that came before this, those phrases that we unpacked over the last several weeks, and all that follows after this phrase are all dependent on and related to this one phrase, he set down. And it's very important for us to see it in English so that we can get what the author was stressing about Jesus' office as prophet, priest, and king. So here's how we should word it in English. He... Being the radiance of God's glory, sat down at the right hand of majesty. He, being the exact representation of God's nature, sat down at the right hand of majesty. He, upholding all things by the word of his power, sat down at the right hand of majesty. He, having made purifications of sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty. The preacher of Hebrews' point here is that Jesus sat down, that he rested from his work, that he accomplished what God the Father sent him to do. And really, what the preacher of Hebrews is doing here is basically he's answering questions 23 to 26 out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So let me read them to you. Question 23 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What offices... Does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Answer, Christ, as our Redeemer, executes the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. Question 24, how does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Answer, Christ executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. Question 25, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? Answer, Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. And finally, question 26, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Answer, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And so the preacher of Hebrews is telling his audience that Jesus has fulfilled all of the Old Testament. He's telling them that all of scripture in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus and has been fulfilled in him. 
He's telling them that they can't return to the old covenant because Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And so Jesus is the prophet who perfectly reveals God to us. It's what we've seen over the last few weeks. As prophet, Jesus perfectly revealed God the Father as a loving heavenly father who was loving his son in and through the Holy Spirit in eternity past. And in his role as prophet, Jesus perfectly revealed God the Father as the creator. We saw this about a month or two ago. He's the creator who loves his creation and wants his creation to glorify and enjoy him as they enjoy his creation. And as prophet, Jesus perfectly revealed God and his law, his word. God has spoken to us in his son. And Jesus is the same essence and nature as God. And what we'll see today is that Jesus is also the priest who offers himself for our sins and that he now intercedes for us. Jesus, Hebrews chapter 7 says he lives to make intercession for us. We're going to talk about that the further we go through the book of Hebrews. But I want you to know that this morning, Jesus lives to intercede for you. He lives to turn to the Father and to pray for you. This is what Jesus lives for. You live for a million other things, and Jesus lives to pray for you. And so this morning, as you were staggering out of bed and fumbling to make your coffee and stepping on Legos and saying things you shouldn't say, at least on Sunday morning, guess what Jesus was doing? He was praying to God the Father for you. And I just read this week that they made these new Lego slippers that if you step on them, they don't hurt your feet. That's totally off. Here's my point. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. When you run from him, when you sin, and you're full of shame and guilt, and you don't want to go to him, and the last thing you want to do is go to him, and you want to run to him, he's running to you, and he's turning to the Father, and he's praying for you. He's a merciful high priest, as we'll find about as we progress through the book of Hebrews. Now he intercedes for us. He lives to intercede for us. And Jesus is also the king who rules and reigns over his creation. So when you take this big chunk of verses at the beginning of Hebrews, you end up with this picture of Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And we see Jesus as king when we read the next words that we will look at in verse 3. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Remember, the original audience was being pressured and tempted to renounce the gospel, to turn back to the old covenant, which is why they needed a king. They needed a king to rule over them. They and we are just like Israel in the Old Testament. We're always turning, drifting from the good news of the gospel, always chasing after other lovers, always worshiping some idol. So we need a king to rule over us, to reign in our wayward hearts with his kingly reign. And as king, Jesus upholds the entire universe that he created by the word of his power. And he upholds us. He keeps us. John Calvin said, So numerous are the dangers which surround us that we couldn't stand a single moment if his eye did not watch over our preservation. But the true security for a happy life lies in being persuaded that we are under divine government. I could totally chase a political rabbit trail here and tell you a happy life is not going to happen if your candidate wins, okay? 
A happy life happens when you realize you are under divine government. But I don't like to meddle in politics, so we're coming back to the word. This is what Jesus does for us as king. He preserves us. He he keeps us. He upholds everything. We could not stand one single moment if Jesus was not watching over us. We would crumble. We would break. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is holding up everything in his creation by the word of his power. And it gets as practical as him keeping your legs working properly. And it gets as practical as him keeping you breathing as you sleep at night. Oh, do not be deceived, Grace. You do not sleep well. You do not sleep heavily because you went to bed exhausted or because you took some NyQuil. Oh, contraire. You sleep and your lungs keep working while you sleep without any effort on your part precisely because Jesus the King keeps your lungs functioning. That ought to make you sing out the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it definitely should humble you. So numerous are the dangers which surround us that we couldn't stand a single moment if his eye did not watch over our preservation. But the true security for a happy life lies in being persuaded that we are under divine government. That's what our king does. He upholds everything by the word of his power. That's how Jesus executes his office as king. He does what Jude says in Jude chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And then listen to these words. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. That's your future grace, is that when you die, you will stand in the presence of Almighty God, blameless, and therefore you will have great joy. Jesus keeps us from falling away from him. He keeps us from stumbling and he does it by the word of his power. He does it by the word he speaks, the liberating power of the gospel. And he presents us as blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God, infinitely glorious, white hot presence, And you're not wiped out. Instead, you stand there blameless and you have great joy. That is what we have to look forward to, Grace. This is how Jesus executes also his his office as priest. He takes wretched sinners like us. He washes away our sin. He washes away the filth. He washes away the shame and the guilt. And he covers us with his righteousness, his perfect life, his obedience to the law. And then he ushers us into the white hot presence of God's glory and we are not destroyed. Instead, we have great joy. He ushers us right into the very presence of God and we are not wiped out. That's amazing. It's amazing grace. And he does this because he is our priest 
which is what verse 3 says. Look at verse 3 again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is how Jesus functions as our priest. Yes, he rules over us as king, as the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And yes, he speaks to us as prophet through his word, through the gospel. But these only happen because he is our priest. Because he laid his life down as the Lamb of God on the cross in order to purify us of our sins. Then he appeared in heaven itself and presented his own blood on the heavenly altar to secure our full, perfect, and final forgiveness, as Hebrews 9, 24 through 26 says. It says, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about. We'll talk more about this as we go on. But Jesus presented his blood to God on the heavenly altar as our priest, and then he sat down. Remember, every phrase in this section is dependent on the phrase, he sat down. And not only these written Greek phrases... But we too are dependent on Jesus as our priest. We are dependent on the priest who sat down. Now, it's very important to understand this as we look at the book of Hebrews because under the old covenant, there were no seats in the temple and there were no seats in the tabernacle. The priests under the old covenant offered sacrifices for sin every day because the problem of sin had not yet been solved. So they never stopped working. They never sat down on the job. Why? Because sinners kept sinning. That's what sinners do. That's what we do. We sin, and guess what? We're good at it. And even though we know that sinners sin, what do we say to our kids when they're mean to their siblings? Why did you do that? There's always only one answer. Sin. Why did you act the way you acted this week? Sin. So these priests never stopped working. They had the ultimate in job security. People kept sinning, so they were guaranteed a job. And they never got to sit on the job. There were no chairs in the break room. In fact, they didn't even have a break room. They never stopped working. They never sat down on the job. They clocked out, and when their shift was over, someone replaced them for the next shift. So they never stopped. But when Jesus came, He was the true priest that all of the old covenant priests prefigured. In fact, the whole old covenant sacrificial system, from the sacrifices to the utensils used, to the furniture, the lamps, the table, to the priest, they were all pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins, he sat down. Why? Because it was finished. Because there are no more sacrifices to be made. Jesus paid it all once for all. And he did it as our prophet, priest, and king. Jesus finished his work. 
so that we would never finish saying, it is finished. Jesus finished his work of rescuing us from sin and death so that we could rest, so that we could rest in his finished work, so that we would never finish saying, it is finished. Jesus finished his work so that you and I, when bombarded by our past and when tempted to earn God's love, we could say, it is finished. That's what our prophet, priest, and king has secured for us. Theologian Charles Hodge explains why Christ's threefold office is so important to every believer. He says, we as fallen men, ignorant, guilty, polluted, and helpless, need a Savior who is a prophet to instruct us, needs a Savior who is a priest to atone and make intercession for us. We need a Savior who is a king to rule over and protect us. And the salvation which we receive at his hands includes all that a prophet, priest, and king in the highest sense of these terms can do. We are enlightened in the knowledge of the truth. We are reconciled unto God by the sacrificial death of his son. And we are delivered from the power of Satan and introduced into the kingdom of God. All of which supposes that our redeemer is to us at once prophet, priest, and king. The Hebrews desperately needed to be reminded that as prophet, Jesus speaks the gospel to them. He declares the liberating power of the gospel over their lives to strengthen their faith. And as priest, Jesus atones for their sins and makes intercession for them. And as king, he reigns and watches over them and protects them. Now remember too, the original audience was suffering for their faith. That's part of the reason why they were being tempted to go back to the old covenant because following Jesus brought persecution into their life because their Jewish friends and family were wanting them to come back to the old covenant so they were suffering. They were being pressured and tempted to return to their Old Testament roots so they needed hope. They needed a ballast in their souls to weather the storm that they were facing and the preacher of Hebrews gives them that ballast in verse three. We'll look at it again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. They were meant to cling to this promise, to cling to their redeemer as they faced suffering. They were meant to cling to Jesus as their past came back to haunt them. They were meant to cling to the promise that Jesus had washed away their sin and now he was seated at the right hand of God reigning with all power. John Piper says this, when it says When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. It means that the sitting down in this place of preeminence and honor and authority and power was a declaration of how perfect was Christ's work of purification of sins. Christ was fitted for this place of honor by the fullness and perfection of his sin-bearing work for us. He continues, I pray that you will embrace this precious biblical reasoning. This is meant to make you strong and unshakable against the terrible temptations to doubt that your sins can be forgiven. The resurrection and the enthronement of Christ to the right hand of God is meant to make you confident in the hour of trial and in the hour of death that the purification of your sins is sure and real and sufficient to give you an entrance to heaven. 
Don't take lightly this biblical reasoning. Christ reigns today in heaven because he made purification of sins once for all. This promise in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is given to make you strong and unshakable when you doubt. When your sins haunt you. When your past haunts you. This promise, this gospel picture, this picture of Jesus as your prophet, priest, and king is meant to give you a ballast as you weather whatever storm comes your way. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is an invitation for you and me to come to Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. It's an invitation to come into his presence and to feed on him by faith. And enjoying Jesus and resting in him and in his finished work is the only thing that will give us the ballast that we need in the midst of being haunted by our past. It's resting in Jesus that gives us strength. Jesus reigns in heaven right now precisely because he made purification of sins once for all. He upholds the world by the word of his power, precisely because he made purification for sins once for all. And that means that his reign as the purifier of sin should make our hearts rejoice. John Calvin also said this, there is not one blade of grass, there is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. Everything in Jesus' kingdom should make us rejoice because the king who made it all upholds it all by the word of his power and that king has done something for for us. He has made purification of our sins possible. On the cross, he made the way possible for dirty, foul, wretched sinners like us to be able to enter into the blazing, white-hot presence of God with great joy blameless, not consumed by God's glory and holiness. He made that way possible. Therefore, everything in his kingdom should cause us to rejoice so that when we look at a blade of grass, we should be saying, I'm rightly related to the king who made this and upholds it, that color. I should rejoice at that color because the king who made it upholds this world by the word of his power and I am in union with him and I could walk into his blazing hot, white hot presence right now and I would not be consumed because I am blameless in his eyes and I would come into his presence with great joy. That's why we can look around this world and have great joy because we're rightly related to the king who made it possible for us to come into God's presence. And this is where the Hebrews got off track. The Hebrews were being tempted to go back to Moses. But you can't go back to Mount Sinai once you've been to Mount Calvary. Jesus climbed Calvary so that we wouldn't try to climb up Sinai, trying hard to keep the law. Jesus climbed up the hill of Calvary so that we wouldn't try to climb up Sinai again, trying hard to keep the law. You can't go back to Mount Sinai once you've been to Mount Calvary, but we all do this, don't we? We all have a tendency to return to the law for our justification. We all have a tendency to turn our relationship with God into a business deal. We get haunted by our past, and we think, we can do better. 
I can do better. I'm haunted by my past. I can do better. And so we reason and we think like this. This time I'll be good. This time I will really leave that sin behind. I'll be good. I'll be good enough to stay in his graces this time. This time I'll try harder. I can do it. But it never works, does it? How many of you have ever sworn and promised God that you would never do something again and then you went and did it again? Are you free in the gospel to admit that today? I am. I do it all the time. And what happens is we promise and swear that we won't do something ever again. And then we do the thing that we promised and swore that we would never do again. And then we get eaten alive by guilt and shame. And then the devil shows up and he rubs our face in our broken promises. You see, we're all like Yosef Stroba in that episode of Night Gallery. We keep running from our past sins. We're haunted by our past sins. And we long to get away. We all want to jump into a, a peaceful painting to get away from it all, to escape our past. Well, the good news of the gospel is that we can. We can jump into the painting of Jesus, if you will. We can jump into Jesus because we are one with him, in union with him, our prophet, priest, and king. So instead of running from our past, we can face it. We can own up to our sins. We can freely admit that, yes, we have broken God's law. We can freely admit that we have done some heinous things. So when the devil reminds you, I did this last week. He was just reminding me over and over, you did this, you did this. And I was like, yes, hey, you forgot a few things. I also did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And I thought that, and thought that, and thought that. I'm forgiven. End of discussion. We can freely admit that we've done some heinous things, but we don't have to be haunted by our past because our past is gone. We have been crucified with Christ. Our past is gone. His past is now our past. His past of obeying the law completely is ours. His past of dying on the cross is ours. Be haunted, Grace, in a good way by Christ's past. Be haunted by Jesus' past. And remember what Martin Luther said, only the devil brings up forgiven sins. Only the devil brings up forgiven sins. Jesus never brings up forgiven sins, ever. And he never will. Jesus says in Hebrews 10, I can't remember your sins. I can't remember your sins. So if we are to be haunted by the past, it will be Jesus' past that haunts us. His perfect life, his perfect death for sinners and lawbreakers like us. Let his past haunt you in a good way. That means that we don't have to run from our past anymore. We run to God the Father when our past starts to haunt us. As Jack Miller said, the Father cannot resist fellowship with his own dear children when they embrace Christ in all his offices as prophet, priest, and king. The Father is waiting, Grace. The Father is waiting. He cannot resist fellowship with you when you run to him. Why? Because he loves his son, Jesus. He will not push Jesus away. And Christian, because you are in union with Christ, your prophet, your priest, your king, then when God sees you, he sees his son. Therefore, he will not push you away. 
You can come to him right now, right into his white, hot, blazing glory with great joy because you are blameless, because you are in union with Jesus, your prophet, priest, and king. So when you are haunted by your past, just like Joseph Strobel in Night Gallery, look to something else to give you peace. When your past When your sins haunt you like Joseph Strobel, look to Jesus for peace and rest. Run to Jesus. And when you run to Jesus, remember that you are never nearer Christ than when you find yourself lost in holy amazement at his unspeakable love. His love for us is what led him to the cross to make purification for sin. As Revelation 1.5 says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He loved us and he freed us from our sins. He loved us and he freed us from our past that haunts us. So that means that at the heart of everything that Jesus does for us, is his love for us. At the heart of everything that Jesus does for us as prophet, priest, and king, at the heart of all of his work for us is his love for us. Don't miss that when you read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Don't miss that at the heart of everything that he does for you is his eternal love for you. Jesus finished his work and sat down so that we would never finish saying It is finished. He rested from his work so that you can rest from your work of trying to please him in order to gain his favor. Jesus completed his work and sat down so that we would stand complete in him and never stop saying, Jesus died my soul to save. As the song that we often sing and will sing in a moment says, Jesus paid it all All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. That's what we should repeat all day. We should be like a broken record saying that all day long. I was up this morning and getting ready listening to this song It's an old hymn, and it's been updated by Zach Hicks, but Samuel Gandy wrote it in 1838. It's called His Be the Victor's Name. I'm going to read a little section of something in his his words and then add something that Zach Hicks wrote, a little bridge to the song. Listen to this. What though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knoweth. None. And then Zach Hicks adds this little bridge. My sin is cast into the sea of God's forgotten memory. No more to haunt accusingly, for Christ has lived and died for me. We should be like a broken record saying those words all day long. We should be saying all day long, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. We should be like a broken record saying all day long, Jesus died my soul to save. Jesus died my soul to save. We should be like a broken record all day long saying after making purification for sins, he sat down. That's what we should be repeating all day. 
And do you want to know what God says all the time? Do you want to know what God says over and over and over and over and over again, just like a broken record? Let me tell you. Let me leave you with the gospel this morning. Here's what God says every day over your life. And here's what God will say that day when you stand before him complete and with great joy, he will say to you, I can't remember your sins. That's what God is saying right now to you, Christian. And that's what he'll say to you for eternity. I can't remember your sins. 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 Heavenly Father, how merciful and gracious you are to sinners like us. How wonderful your love in sending your son, empowering him by the spirit to obey all of the law on our behalf, to go to the cross to take the curse of the law upon himself on our behalf, to raise him from the dead where he sits right now, Father, at your right hand of majesty. Right now, Father, he's praying for us. We're praying and Jesus is praying, God. At the same time, it's so wonderful It's such good news. Thank you, God, that you can't remember our sins. All glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.